Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Amy Epstein, co-founder and head of client services for People in Practice. I'm joined by my partner and my father, retired orthodontist, Leon Klempner. We hope that your family and you are safe and healthy as we move into the back to school timeframe. In today's episode, we thought we would dedicate our time talking about some of the legalities around orthodontic practice management. Topics like employment contracts, restrictive covenants, and importantly, how not to get sued if someone in your office gets COVID. Yeah, the, these are uh, very important issues that we're dealing with right now. And But I just wanted to mention, Amy, that um, we've just gotten some additional data from our practices across the U.S. and Canada, and we're definitely seeing a number of COVID adaptations that are now becoming part of the routine office protocol. So, of course, there's the mandatory PPE and the patient screening, but we're also seeing a continuing number of new consults coming from a variety of the different virtual pra- uh, platforms that are out there. Um, SmileMate, SmileSnap, Rhinogram, Doxy, you, you know all of the different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and those links are now finding a permanent home on most ortho websites. For sure. I think people are finding that those are um, obviously useful ways to connect with people who may not be comfortable coming in right away, or at least you can vet them a little bit before you bring them into your office for a consult. Um, and then even some of the in-person protocols are changing too. I think many practices are recognizing the benefit of a streamlined in and out process without too many people in the waiting room at all times. Um, it just it seems like everybody's gotten down to a well-oiled machine. That's, that's a good process that they're going to keep um, in the coming months, regardless of what happens with COVID. Just on that topic, uh, for those new listeners to the podcast, um, if you listen to episode seven and episode 16, we we dedicate those episodes specifically to uh, virtual consults. So, um, you know, check those out when you get an opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm, for sure. So how are you doing today, Amy? Oh, <laughs> good. I was just telling our guest in the pre-show discussion that uh, we're getting ready to go back to New York City, the family. So we're moving out of our parents, my dad and my mom's house after five months of sort of sheltering in here. So we really appreciate that because the kids have had outside space and all the things that we uh, are hard to do when you live in Queens, New York. Well, I have to say I'm going to definitely miss you. It was an adjustment, but... uh, I think that's an understatement. Yeah, but, you know, being with the grandkids, having the opportunity of spending, you know, months together, I really gotten to know them and and hopefully they will have good memories of their grandparents of course i think they will and i think you know having little kids the milestones that they go through during a short amount of time like a five-month period of time you know one of them started speaking in full sentences and you know the other one's losing teeth and um so these are big things that sometimes you may miss i guess if you don't see them on a day-to-day basis yep yep absolutely so so let's talk a little bit about uh, today's topic um 
what what has happened in orthodontics has uh, changed a lot. So in addition to the changes in technology that we talked about, there are major changes in the business dynamics of orthodontics. When I graduated, it was common for recent grads to join established private practices as an associate leading to a partnership. That was the model. Uh, that model is pretty much dead now. And recent grads are now evaluating employment contracts with DSOs. Uh, smaller practices are being gobbled up by those same large corporate entities. Uh, and with all these changes come a host of legal questions and challenges. So we thought we would dedicate the entire episode to unravel some of the common legal questions. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why we have uh, as our guest today, Stephen Kaufman, who as a lawyer for 35 years advises orthodontists in various stages of their careers regarding topics such as employment contracts, practice sales, purchases, startups, uh, partnership buy-ins and breakups, uh, employment issues, and all types of litigation. He's an author and frequently lectures to doctors nationally, regionally, and locally at dental schools, professional organizations, and universities. He is also the host of the Dental Call podcast, in which he interviews experts in the business of dentistry, and he's a former adjunct professor of law at Stevenson University in Baltimore. Uh, Steve received his JD cum laude from Cornell in 1985 and his BA summa cum laude from SUNY New York, in uh, State University of New York in Albany in 1981. And he is a member of Phi Beta Kappa, which is very impressive. So Steve, welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontics podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. It's wonderful to be here. Hello, Leon. Good to be speaking with you. Hi, Steve. So my dad and I are in touch with residents and recent grads uh, all the time. And they're often faced with trying to decipher the sort of legalese as they review an employment proposal. So my first question for you is, what are the three biggest mistakes orthodontists make when negotiating employment contracts? Oh, I think the, the three biggest mistakes I see, and for context, I've done about 5,000 contracts for dentists coming out of school, not all orthodontists, obviously, but for fellows and graduating students. So I see a lot of it. And I think the, the first big mistake is they believe that a contract is standard and then they don't negotiate it. And that seems to be becoming more and more prevalent as you get the bigger companies that are hiring them. And people seem to believe that. And like I said, I've done this 5,000 times, and, and I want everybody to understand that I think that's a myth. It's just a myth perpetuated by employers to get dentists to sign things that aren't good for them. Um, I, I don't think there's any such thing as a standard contract. Not nationally, not regionally, not locally, not even within a single company. It just doesn't exist. Um, every job is different. Everybody's leverage is different. You know, the, the amount of negotiating leverage they have to change things. And not negotiating can really hurt you. Um, there, are, there are three reasons you need to negotiate. And it's not what people usually think. Um, the first reason is, is the obvious one. And it is the one everybody thinks about. I'm going to get more stuff if I negotiate, right? I'm gonna get more money, more vacation, uh, 
a smaller non-compete. They'll pay for my licenses. Whatever it is, I'm going to get more stuff. And that's important, but I find it's often not the most important reason to negotiate. Um, It's really, really, really important to negotiate because you're going to learn something about your new employer. I have found that when you go back, particularly if the dentist goes back themselves, to ask a new employer for something, I would like money, I would like to make changes. When you ask people, that character often gets revealed. And you can separate sometimes the good guys from the bad guys just by negotiating. Mm-hmm. You know, the the good guys, and we've all seen them. Look, the good guys say, listen, I hear you. I understand your concerns. I, I understand why you want to make these changes. And maybe they compromise with you and maybe they don't. But they treat you like an adult. They listen to you. They treat you in a respectful way. Hmm. That's great to find out that your new employer is going to be a good person who's going to listen to you and maybe compromise. And if their contract is asking for more than the more protection than the employer really needs, that might really be detrimental to you, they'll fix it. Mm-hmm. But there's another category of employer that's going to patronize you. It happens all the time. Or bully people. Uh, just try and talk over them, bully them, refuse to respond, refuse to engage. It is what it is. Uh, I had, as an example of this, the most stunning example I've ever had of this. I had a, a female doctor get a contract and there were a lot of changes we wanted to make. And she sent her employer a really professional, polite email with her questions, her concerns, the changes she wanted to make. And I know for sure that it was a polite and professional email because I ghost wrote it for her. So Mm. I knew it was good. And the response came back to her. And I don't need to have this in front of me to quote it. This isn't even a paraphrase. The response came back, you're so cute. No, really, you're so cute. Don't worry yourself about these things. They'll all work out. Mm. How'd you like to get that back from an employer, Amy? I would not like to get that back from an employer. And it's just packed with all sorts of things that you would want to know before you set foot in that office. So You got that right. And and what you do is you turn around and you run away and you go find another job. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the best negotiations lead to not taking the job because you learn that it's a bad fit. Well, it's certainly not the last time that some sort of discussion about a compromise would have to be made. So better to know that those types of discussions would go that route before you even set foot in the office. I mean, that's... Exactly right. Exactly right. If you don't negotiate, you don't find that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the other reason to negotiate, the third reason to negotiate is you'll find out more about the job. So maybe you're joining one of the big corporate practices and you're going off to a big city and they've got 10 practices in town. And you interview at that lovely office on the north side of town and they tell you, hey, that's where you're going to work. And you love it. The demographics are good. The money looks good. Everything looks wonderful. And then the contract comes in and it says that you'll work on the north side of town or such other place as they might assign you to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you go back and you say to them, wait a minute, you told me I work on the north side. Let's make it say, 
that I'll work on the north side and other places that I might agree to. And they say no. Well, what you want to do at that point is really push. Why do they say no? I mean, I've had this exact scenario happen over and over and over again. And sometimes what you find out if you negotiate and you don't just accept it is you'll find out that somebody's going out on maternity leave. Somebody's quitting at that office on the south side that you've never been to. And they're planning on moving you there. Or they're opening a new office and they're planning on moving you there. But they don't want to tell you because they're afraid you might not take the job because you like that nice north side office. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of hiding it from you. And if you don't push and you don't look them in the eye and say, why won't you change this? You told me I was going to work on the north side. Why won't you change it? And you don't look them in the eye and watch the body language and really try and figure out what's going on. You might sign a contract to work and end up working in a place you don't want to work. And then be stuck maybe with a non-compete. I'm sure folks are all familiar with non-competes and have given up other job opportunities that might have been better. So Mm -hmm. I think the number one thing is you've got to negotiate. Um, You know, I I think of it this way. I don't know a single orthodontist who thinks they're standard. So I don't know why anyone would sign the supposedly standard contract. Mm -hmm. You've seen this, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, it, it sounds like um, even if things look good and, and the agreement seems to be what you expect, it doesn't hurt to just raise a question or two just to kind of learn more about who you're, you're you know, signing up with. Exactly right. Exactly right. It, it never hurts. Uh, which, which brings me to kind of the second big mistake that people make. Um, And it's that you don't get promises in writing. Um, What happens is you give the the employer hands you the contract and it never matches. It never. I'm a lawyer. I I don't often speak in absolutes. We speak in, you know, hedge everything. I have never seen an employment contract that came from an employer that matched the deal the employee was told about. Never. It's always more favorable to the employer. It never matches. Hmm. So, for for example, um, you're told it's going to work on the north side, and they come back and say, we can move you. Right? Wasn't the deal. That happens all the time. And when it doesn't match, you go back to the employer and you say, hey, let's make it match. And the employer says, oh, don't worry about that. Trust me. We would never do that to you. We Mm -hmm. would never move you. We would never just fire you without telling you what you did wrong first and giving you a chance to fix it. We're not those kind of people. We're very good people. We trust you. Well, when that happens, I strongly advise people, and that that happens all the time, by the way, and people say, yeah, I trust you, I like you, which is a mistake. What you ought to say to people is, I trust you completely. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking. But this piece of paper here, this contract, this sets out our deal. And if you aren't here in a year or our memories change, we might have a fight or your replacement doesn't know about our deal and then it won't go through right. Mm-hmm. Um, you, most contracts, no, all contracts 
have in the back of them at the very end something called an integ- little little lawyer talk here uh, something called an integration clause or maybe it says entire contract but when you translate it when you translate it out of legal into real world what does it mean it says that your entire contract everything you've agreed to is in the is in the contract all the discussions you had, all the emails you exchanged, all that stuff disappears when you sign. It's gone. Mm. So maybe your employer will abide by it, but legally they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an old lawyer saying that says, um, an oral agreement isn't worth the paper it's written on. And mm. it's really true. So if it's important to you, if it's something you say, I wouldn't take the job but for this, make sure that's what the contract says. Don't accept the idea of trust me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, real common. I don't know any employers who don't try it, and it often works. Um, the, the third big thing, the third big mistake I see, um, and this one's going to sound a little self-serving, and maybe it is, but it's still the absolute truth. It's... Um, People try and do it on their own. Uh, They try and negotiate the contracts on their own. They try and understand them on their own. And I find that's almost always a mistake because Dennis, um, you know, you you two, Dennis, everybody's smart. Um, you You don't get in and out of dental school without being smart. But you went to the wrong school. You went to dental school and you learned the secret language of dentists. Mm-hmm. You should have gone to law school and learned the secret language of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Words don't, off, often words don't mean what you think they do. Mm. Um, they've, there's cases, there's judges, they've been interpreted and they look like they mean one thing, um, but they mean something completely different. And you're never going to be able to figure that out. I mean, I have had people who got on uh, Google and tried to Google the meaning of words and try and understand it. And it's impossible. It's it's especially impossible if you weren't educated in the United States. Mm-hmm. It can be re- English is a hard enough language when it's your first language. I shouldn't say we're not educated in the U.S. It's hard if English isn't your first language. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard enough when English is your first language. When it's your second language, it can be next to impossible to truly understand what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. You you also don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, you're looking at a contract. You don't know whether something is should be in there, shouldn't be in there. Maybe you should be asking for things that aren't in there and you just don't know. I mean, a common one, for example, is moving expenses. Employers almost never put moving expenses into contracts, but you can often get them to pay for them if you ask. They just don't offer. You need to ask. There are a lot of things like that that if you ask, you can often get, but you don't know. There's also a couple other reasons why it's generally not a good idea to try and do it completely on your own. I mean, besides, it's not in English. And this is one that's, I think, in general, it's not just employment contracts. It's whenever you're negotiating for yourself. Uh, You're biased. You've got self-interest. 
it can be really hard to be objective about what's being offered. You know, it that old axiom about uh, uh, a a person who represents themselves has a fool for a lawyer. Hmm. Well, that's that's what that's all about. You don't really you don't really get a good uh, when it's your money, when it's your life, it's really hard to be objective and determine whether maybe the employer really is being fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, it's generally a mistake. I mean, I can tell you that when I negotiate a contract, it always comes out better for the employer, for yeah, the employee. I can imagine that. Yeah. Always. Those are really, really important points. So just to sum up those three things, the first is always negotiate. Uh, second is always get it in writing. And third is always get a lawyer. Get, you yeah, get some help. Exactly. <laughs> get some don't, help. Don't, don't do it sense. on your own. And, you know, I, I want to add one more thing to, to all of that. It's about the don't negotiate. There's a really good reason people don't negotiate beyond employers tell them it's not negotiable. And it's really the psychology of taking the job. And it's this particularly important when you're taking your first job and it's particularly important for women and I'm not being sexist about it there's lots of studies that back up this is an objective problem here Mm -hmm. and the psychology of your first job the psychology of a woman negotiating particularly against uh, maybe an older guy an older male is you're afraid you're going to lose the job if you're too pushy you're going to you're afraid you're going to be perceived as too needy, too pushy, too greedy, too something. And so you don't ask or you tone down what you ask. And that goes through everybody's head. Everybody. And when it does, you just need to reject it because it's not rational. Right. The worst that's going to happen if you go in and you are polite and you're respectful is they're going to tell you no. Mm-hmm. So worse it happens. And 90% of the time, no doesn't mean no. No means, eh, let me see if I can get away with a no, see if it mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. So don't be yeah. afraid to negotiate. Right. Got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so you know what? Let's move on to the um, part of our podcast where we invite people who are listeners to submit questions. And so we have one for you today. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name is Dr. Marla Prokop from Annapolis, Maryland, and my question is that doctors are consistently being told by friends and academics that non-competes are not enforceable. Is this really true? Oh, that's a great question, Dr. Prokop. Uh, The answer is if you are in a state where non-competes are legal, uh, it's going to be enforceable. Um, simple answer. Don't ever assume that a non-compete is unenforceable. And when I say a state where they're enforceable, that's almost the entire country. You know, for any listeners in California, I think New Mexico, um, Rhode Island, a few other places, they're just not enforceable. You don't need to worry about them there. But in the rest of the country, you're going to lose if there's a fight over the non-compete. And even if you win, let me back that up for a second. You can win in court. I've won non-compete cases in court. But the problem is, as a practical matter, you're going to lose anyway because you're going to pay your lawyer a lot of money. 
maybe it's going to cost you somewhere between twenty-five and seventy-five thousand dollars, depending on what the fight is and mm. and where you are. So, say it's going to cost you fifty thousand dollars, and it's going to take a year to resolve. And during the year, nobody will give you a job within the restricted area. So, remember the non-compete. What we're talking about here is a promise, a contractual promise to not practice dentistry within some geography for some amount of time. So I promise that I won't practice dentistry within five miles of, of your office, Leon, for, for three years. Well, I, maybe I can win that in court, but nobody will give me a job within those five miles because they don't want to get sued. So you can't get a job and you can't start your own practice because you can't get a lease and borrow money and not be able to open because you might lose the case. Mm-hmm. So you can win. But as a practical matter, you're going to lose. So the lesson is negotiate your non-compete at the beginning of your contract. Don't wait until the end. Because at the beginning, everybody's getting along and everybody wants to get together. At the end, you're gone. Your employer no longer has a, a really good need to make you happy, right? You, you may not even be leaving on good terms. Mm-hmm. So the real key to a non-compete is whatever it is, If you're not happy with it, if you want to make it smaller or less time or put exceptions into it, do it before you sign the contract. Don't think you're going to wiggle out at the end. That's that's a really good question. That's great advice. Uh, And, you know, Steve, I'd be remiss if I didn't. uh, There's so many topics that, from a legal standpoint, that I'd like to raise with you, and we have such limited time. But I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up some of the issues relating to covid and um, we get a lot of calls now from orthos that are starting to get either a staff member or somebody in their office that, that actually contracted COVID. And obviously, if a staff member um, you know, gets sick, they need to quarantine themselves. Um, but are there other issues that they need to worry about? Like, what, what would the protocol be? I know a lot of them are concerned about the legal ramifications? Do they have to contact all of their patients? Do they have to notify everybody and, you know, staff members? Are there privacy concerns? Can you, can you put a little light on the COVID issues in dentistry? Oh, I'll do my best. This is, as I'm sure everybody can appreciate, this is a, a, a moving target you're asking me about here. It seems to change every 20 minutes. Um, I think the best is that if you know that you had someone who was contagious in your office, uh, you need you, you don't tell the rest of your staff, you know, Bob is out because he was contagious. But you want to identify the people who were exposed to Bob when they were contagious, tell them, send them home, get them tested, and don't let them come back until they've tested negative maybe twice, because right now some of these tests aren't very accurate. Um, and I think you want to do with the patients. If you know that you had some, one of your staff was actively contagious by the timing of what happened and they saw patients, I think you got to call the patient. You got to say, listen, you might have been exposed. We had, we had someone who has been tested positive for COVID. You might have been exposed. You should get tested. I think you need to tell people that. Um, you know, 
I'm not sure where the legal liability on all of this is going to end up. Um, Congress is still batting around um, limiting liability for employers. I think it's going to be really hard for people to prove where they got COVID. You know, you're, you're a patient, but how are you going to show that you got COVID at the dentist? I mean, that's not to say you shouldn't be taking every precaution you can, but I, I'm not so sure that people who are taking good precautions, who are trying to take good precautions and warn people that they might have been exposed, really have much to worry about legally. Yeah, you do need to tell people. Uh, do you think that the best mode of communication is giving them a call? Um, As opposed to sending a group, not a group, but like sending a mass notification of some sort. Do you think that a phone call... Um, I mean, it's definitely a more personal approach, um, but would you recommend it from a legal standpoint? Um, well, that's interesting. It, it, you're talking about patients as, as and not staff, yes? Yes, patients. Um, I, I don't think I would send out a mass email. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that hopefully the number of patients who may have been exposed is not huge. Mm -hmm. I suppose this is partly a logistical issue, but if the number is relatively small, I think I would call people and maybe put it in the chart that I called them so I have it in writing in case Mm -hmm. anybody ever asks. Good. Um, I I don't think from a publicity standpoint, I would want to be blasting out to the world in emails that we've had a COVID problem in our office. Exactly. And from a, yeah, from a communication standpoint, that's that's what I'm talking about. I, you know, if we're advising clients on what to do, this happened. Um, you know, my public relations gut says I don't want to do that. From a legal standpoint, I just was wondering if you needed to have it in writing, which you know, having a phone call and then documenting it in the chart, I think, is a a very elegant solution. Well, thank you. Every every now <laughs> and then, I, I I find an acorn. <laughs> okay, good. That's really helpful. Um, so, Steve. Um, yeah, as I said, there's so many different topics that we didn't get a chance to get to that we're going to have to just bring you back again and and cover more of them. Um, so first of all, I want to thank you for your expertise today. And what what would be the best way for our listeners to contact you if they have additional questions or if they want to learn more about your services? Uh, Well, first, um, thank you, Amy and Leon, for having me on. It was a pleasure. And for anybody who would like to contact me, I think the easiest way is by email. And that's S. Kaufman, and it's my name, S-K-A-U-F, as in Frank, M-A-N, at WCSlaw.com. So it's S. Kaufman at WCSlaw.com. Best way to reach me, and anybody who would like to ask a question or need some help, I'd be happy to do that. Steve, thank you again. It was great talking with you. We will have you back. Oh, that it would be my pleasure. Thank you, Amy. You can subscribe or download other episodes of the Survival Guide for Orthodontists on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell one of your colleagues. 
For more information about people in practice, you can sign up for our free marketing newsletter on our website, which is pplpractice.com. Thank you all for listening. And if you have a marketing question or you would like to uh, contact me directly, just shoot me an email at leon at pplpractice.com. So long for now and stay safe. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.